The countdown's on, MP. Damo, the biggest and best wellness summit ever is fast approaching. Don't miss out on the entertainment. The education. The edutainment that is the wellness summit. Featuring for the very first time at the summit, the Merrymaker sisters, Carla and Emma Pappas, and the 2013 Bachelor himself, the incredible chiropractor and sharp mover, Mr. Tim Robards, plus all of your wellness couch favorites. And wait for it, Damo. All 22 podcasts on the couch will be in attendance at the summit. Wow. So take your digital wellness couch experience and make it a real-life one at the transformational, inspirational, sensational 16 hours of Powerhouse Wellness Summit at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. September 10 and 11. More information and tickets available at www.thewellnesssummit.com. Now, before you go, Damo, there's a big competition on as of now. Every single person who registers before a 11.59pm on Sunday, August 14, goes into the draw to win a double pass to the inaugural 2016 Wellness Couch Awards Night. Amazing. You'll join the who's who of the Wellness Couch as we present for the very first time the best new podcast, most popular episode, most popular the host, the best hair, of course, MP, most awkward moment, and many more sensational awards at this night of fun and wellness frivolity. But you must enroll, folks, by August 14. Tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. And for those of you planning on coming to the Wellness Summit in Melbourne, you can get a huge $100 off your ticket. Simply enter the code SHINYSUMMIT16 when booking and then you can receive your discount. That's SHINYSUMMIT16. See you at the summit. Today's guest and I have known each other for several years, yet the hilarious thing is this is the first time we've actually spoken face-to-face. We met online during a course called B-School and we hit it off over a mutual love of juices, smoothies and healthy desserts. This lady is a health coach, a passionate vegan and has quite the story to tell when it comes to battling her own demons with alcohol, so much so that she's recently written a book about it. She's a shining soul who cares deeply about her tribe and I'm super excited to have her here today. Please welcome to Shiny Healthy You, the lovely Rebecca Weller. Woo! <laughs> Thank you so much for a beautiful intro. Thank you, Jules. It's so good to be here. <laughs> I seriously cannot believe that this is the first time we've spoken. <laughs> I, I feel like I know you so much already. I know. It's so bizarre. That's the thing, I think, when you've been chatting for many years, it feels like, yeah, it feels like we've got that good friendship and then it's like, but we've never actually spoken. That's so weird. I know. I know. <laughs> now, for those of uh, those people listening who don't know you, can you tell us all how you became interested in healthy eating and how you ended up on this whole nutrition path? Yes. So for many years, you know, nutrition always interested me, but I wasn't very clear on it. Like I, I grew up in the era, as so many of us have, that where fat was bad, where diet foods were good. And so my view of food was always very much around Nutri- uh, around calorie counting. So I had a very dysfunctional relationship with my body and I would sort of eat these plastic foods, I call them now, these frozen <laughs> dinners and these diet foods and and 
I would never understand why I didn't feel great and why I couldn't lose the weight that I wanted to. And in 2011, I started watching some documentaries that were brought out by Animals Australia and I learnt more about factory farming in Australia and the dairy industry and I decided to go vegan and it was only after that, you know, I when I went vegan, everyone who knew me was like, what, what on earth are you going to eat now? You know, this was 2011, so it was very different. People didn't understand vegan. I barely understood it. <laughs> And so I decided to start a little food blog and I was just sharing with friends and family the things that I was learning about veganism. And to my surprise, that blog began to get a bit of a readership. And then I started to feel like, well, maybe I should be a better example to these people who are coming to read the blog about how to be vegan. Maybe I should be a healthier example rather than at the time I was still eating a lot of those sort of processed foods, even though they were vegan, they weren't that healthy. And that's when I discovered the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And that's where it all started to change for me. I enrolled to study to be a health coach and I started to learn about what nutrition means and how food impacts not only our bodies and our weight, obviously, but the way we feel and the way that we perceive the world and our energy. Yeah, and it's funny how we end up studying the thing that we need ourselves the most, isn't it? Like you're studying to become a health coach to help others, but you're learning so much about your own stuff and what you need. So true, definitely. So what sort of changes did you start to notice with your body after turning vegan? I lost a lot of weight, <laughs> lost a lot of weight, which showed me that, you know, I always thought that I had a bit of an issue with dairy and obviously my body agreed because there was, you know, a lot of excess weight, especially around my middle section that I, that came off quite quickly. And I also felt a lot better. You know, for years I, well, since I was born, I've struggled with chronic eczema and that cleared up. And about a year later, it did come back and then I cut out gluten and ever since then it's been gone. But just I started to change. But the most things I noticed was the way that I felt. I started to feel differently. Like obviously the vegan diet really agreed with my body and I started to just have a bit more, like it sounds strange, but to have a bit more clarity, to feel a little bit, I don't know, a little bit free, I guess, for many years, like I say, I was eating those plastic foods and those diet foods. So many of those had animal derivatives in them. So I had to learn how to cook. Like at that time, I didn't really know how to cook. <laughs> so I had to learn how to look after myself and cook for the first time. And of course, there's a lot of, you know, that is a form of self-care is cooking for yourself and making yourself healthy meals. So in that process, I started to feel um, more connected with myself. I guess that was where I started to resurrect a relationship with myself that was never there before. Yeah, I love that cooking as a form of self-care. I'm like actually writing that down right now. I just want you to know. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> it's so true. It is so true because, I mean, you did it because you wanted to have control over what's going into the food, right, so that you were mm -hmm. absolutely sure there were no animal products in there. But even if someone's listening who's not interested in going vegan, like it is a form of self-care to, to 
have that control of what's going into your food because sometimes you don't know what crap people are putting in when you buy that food out. Definitely, you definitely you don't know, and you don't know if they might accidentally put something in it that doesn't agree with you. You know, it's yeah, obviously cooking for yourself, and it can be quite a meditative experience as well. Where you know, if you're slowly chopping the vegetables and then you're slowly stirring them, it can be a moment of zen yeah. <laughs> in your day as well. <laughs> yeah, I've actually had a. I interviewed Dr. Rachel Windham uh, for my Shiny Healthy You program a while back, and she talked about mindfulness in cooking, and it's exactly that. Like chopping mindfully, stirring mindfully, you know, not checking your phone or not thinking about other things while you're making the food. Yeah, and she described it the same way. Mm, yeah. Exactly. And then the process of sitting down, you know, if you sit down somewhere, we most of us rush through the meals and we're constantly thinking about something else. We've got the TV going. But to actually sit and breathe and chew slowly, it's a different experience as well. You start to feel more connected to yourself, but also connected to your body, the food that you're putting into it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I also love what you were saying about a healthy vegan diet versus an unhealthy vegan diet. What would be an example of an unhealthy vegan diet? Mm, yes. So I was eating a lot of, you know, you can get vegan pies and pasties and a lot of frozen meals. You, I was also eating Oreos and because the, the lifestyle was so new to me, anything I found that was packaged that said vegan, I was all up in it. Yeah, we do that with gluten-free too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, exactly. Oh, it's gluten-free. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, I must be able to eat 20 of them. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go, hang on, what's hydrogenated vegetables? vegetable oil (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and yeah just a lot of sugar as well I was really addicted to sugar and so any any lollies I found any chocolates any biscuits anything like that I was like well it's vegan I can eat as many as I like and so starting to turn that around was a process as well starting to learn about whole foods and additives and excess sugar and all that stuff yeah. Do you eat soy? Rarely. I do have um, tempeh. I love tempeh. And what else? Miso. Yeah. Yeah. But they're like they're a fermented, more traditionally made form of soy, aren't they? Exactly. Exactly. Soy milk I can no longer tolerate. Like my body just says nope. Yep. <laughs> it, won't, it won't put up with that. I used to drink a lot of soy milk, but no, it's not It's not working for me anymore. But I try to avoid it. Obviously, it's better to eat the whole foods and fermented foods and that sort of thing. Yeah. And when you say that your body said nope, um, what, sort mm-hmm. of, what sort of symptoms, what, what, what message does it send? It sends the runs. <laughs> Oh, it we're going there. We're going there. Pretty immediate <laughs> message. <laughs> it says no. It's, this is getting out of this body right now. <laughs> yeah, loud and clear. Thank you, buddy. I'll note that one down. <laughs> it's, it's funny, isn't it, that once you clear that slate with your body, like you've eliminated some of the more inflammatory foods, you've eliminated the gluten, you've eliminated the dairy. And then once you've cleaned that slate, if you eat something that your body doesn't like, it just tells you so quickly. Mm-hmm. It does, which makes me wonder all those years where I was cramming all of those things in, mm. you know, obviously it was just, 
Yeah, it's bizarre now because it is. It's like a finely tuned machine where sometimes I'm like, oh, it's so sensitive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the same time, it's working, right? It's sending me messages back in no uncertain terms. Yeah. Yep, you're like a highly tuned car now and you can only put the 98 petrol in. You can't put in that other stuff. Yes. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Goes, what's this other stuff? Yeah, I have, yeah. A, I have a Volkswagen that runs on 98 and I have a friend who's a Volkswagen mechanic and I asked him what would happen if I put in 95 and he said, yeah, there's this thing called catastrophic engine failure. And I'm like, all right, we'll do that. <laughs> It's got to be the premium fuel now. Yeah. See, so you've got soy milk and that's like your, you know, that's your E10 ethanol fuel. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love that. Can you tell I've grown up with boys? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So you're eating all the healthy food. You've gone vegan, the inflammation in the body's going, you know, your your digestion's healing, the eczema's healing, all this cool stuff's happening. But mm-hmm. even despite all the healthy goings on and the learning to be the life coach, you still mm-hmm. had a dark secret and that was the alcohol. Can you tell me what was going on there? I did because denial is a powerful thing. <laughs> denial yes. is a very powerful thing. And, you know, when I, after I enrolled to study at IAN, I was working in the corporate world at the time. And so I didn't expect to want to be a health coach. I thought I was just enrolling in that program. It's a year long course so that I could be a healthier example, learn more about nutrition that I could share on the blog. But towards the end of the course, I'd changed so much that I was like, I really want to do this full time. So I really resigned from my corporate career and I started, you know, started a business with my partner and we just uh, dove into it. It was a sort of a spontaneous decision (laughs) to dive into it. And when I was in the corporate world, there was a lot of sort of functions and drinks and things like that. And so every Friday night was going out with work friends and blowing off steam and a lot of partying really, a lot of um, socializing and functions and so on. And when we started working for ourselves, that changed a bit. Like I thought that starting my own health coaching practice would make me magically stop drinking. Like I thought, well, you know, I'm going to be a health coach now. But something happens when you've got a pattern that's been going on for two decades. You know, I really, my drinking should have calmed down in my 20s or in my 30s, but I was 30, I was 39 at the time and it still hadn't calmed down. And when we shifted to running our own business, obviously there was no time for going out and partying and socializing as much. So I started drinking at home a lot more. Obviously, when you're running your own business, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty. And so I didn't want to feel those emotions. And so there was a lot of drinking on the couch and drinking even more, even though I expected to drink less, I found that I was drinking more. Yeah. Yeah. So it went from like that work hard, play hard, you know, out socializing mentality to just becoming the sitting on the couch with Dom relaxing kind of tool. Exactly. The sort of calming down the obviously, you know, doing everything for the first time in the business was exciting, but also stressful and and scary. And so having that to lean on at night was really good. But Dom, my partner, he doesn't like drinking. And so really, I would be sitting there numbing myself out 
while he is on the couch next to me completely conscious. And so, you know, it just didn't add up. It just, it was progressing and I didn't know how to get a handle on it because I never learned how to deal with these emotions in a mature way. You know, I, my emotional maturity was quite stunted, <laughs> I see now, <laughs> and I didn't know how to relax without wine. I didn't know how to celebrate without it, but I didn't know how to also deal with scary emotions without alcohol. And it's such a part of our culture, isn't it? So it's not like you're made to feel like you're doing anything wrong either. Exactly. And I thought to myself, well, I'm eating healthy all day. I'm doing all the other things. I'm exercising and meditating. I'm doing all these other things. <laughs> Surely a few glasses at night can't, can't hurt. But it quickly added up as well. Like I kept thinking, well, you know, it's just a few glasses here and there, but those glasses became more and more. And I found that I was doing it every day as well, where it just became such an unhealthy crutch of this thing that I was leaning on to support me because I didn't trust myself that I could support myself. Mm, Yeah. And then your body started to tell you, didn't it as well, that it wasn't happy with what you were doing? Hmm. It did. I mean, obviously, as we get older, it's <laughs> the hangovers get harder to deal with. Yeah, you just don't get away with it as much, do you? No, exactly, exactly. And so I started to feel worse and worse. And one day I was sitting opposite my one of my beautiful clients in a Skype interview because I'd taken on clients and I was coaching them with health issues and I just kept drinking at night just tricking myself into believing that it was okay because like you said it's culturally accepted you go on Facebook and everyone's making jokes about alcohol like it's no big deal so it was very easy for me to say it's okay you know that's no no big deal I do everything else healthy I'm allowed to have one vice you know all these things that we tell ourselves (laughs) and I was sitting in this Skype session with one of my beautiful clients and she said to me Sometimes I drink alcohol or I drink wine because I don't want to feel lonely. It helps me not to feel lonely. And I heard myself say, well, that's okay. And I was just horrified. I felt so sick the minute I heard myself say it because I know that it's not okay. It's not okay to avoid dealing with our emotions by hiding behind a toxic substance and so that was one of the big turning points for me where I was like girlfriend what are you doing you need to sort this out yeah life always gives us a mirror don't they Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and I tell you what the amount of times I've had clients that have challenged me in some way like have have held up that mirror time and time and time again (laughs) sometimes being a health practitioner and having those sorts of clients is like the best form of uh for me like self-awareness because if I just stop and and really listen to them it's like oh my god I see myself in them so yeah it's a funny old process sometimes helping people Definitely. <laughs> it's like, yeah, thank you, universe, for sending me this person. <laughs> exactly. And I think you seem to attract the ones that 
have similar issues to you as well. Like I definitely found that like, why do I keep getting these, these clients who are also struggling with alcohol before I'd ever told anyone about my struggles? Yeah. So it's funny. I had that happen with pyroluria because I've got uh, this thing called pyroluria or pyrol disorder. And before I got tested, they started coming in droves. Like it was like <laughs> someone decided to have a pyrol party in my business. Seriously. <laughs> it was just one after the other, after the other. And again, I just started seeing myself in them because I'm asking them all about their symptoms and you know how their life is. And I'm like, oh my God, this is me. This is me. And then I ended up getting tested and sure enough, I joined the pyro party myself. So yeah, it's it's funny when you get, as a practitioner, when you get a wave of a particular theme in a client, it's like, just pop your head up and go, what is what is this that I need to learn? Why is this, you know, what is the thing in myself that I need to look at now as well? Yeah. Definitely. Oh, that gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Yes. It's like, you know, the message, what message is coming up here? It's listening, right? Listening, tuning in. Yep. Yep. You always get sent what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you've, so you already had, so you already had this awareness about, you know, the fact that you had a bit of a problem and that it was mm-hmm. starting to, you know, it was starting to reflect in your clients like a big old bright mirror. Mm-hmm. But what was the turning point? Like the actual, how did you stop? And I, I mean, I think I know the answer to this question, but why did you just go, this is an all or nothing situation, so I choose none? Because some people would just go, oh, I'm just going to cut down. But no, not you. <laughs> <laughs> going to go all the way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that process. Yeah, I mean, the truth, I, I got to a stage, I mean, I went to a – you know, it was a progressive thing. And so I went to, obviously I was drinking at home, but it was the going to events. Like I would have friends who would have a barbecue and I would get there and I would just lose myself in the wine. And then the next day I would feel so ashamed. It was just such a spiral of negative emotions the next day and feeling sick about, you know, what did people think about me? What did they say? I'm supposed to be a health coach and I'm such a fraud. I'm so inauthentic that all my friends know I've started this health coaching practice but they see me fall apart or fall into the wine at every event (laughs) and it was you know sort of setting boundaries for myself like okay I'll go to this party and these were things I'd been doing for many years of saying to myself I will only have six drinks when I go to this party and then I would have 10 and when I started to I mean after that session with that client and then I started going to these events I was like right seriously now I'm only having six or four or whatever it was but I would always go overboard you know those putting those rules in place for me seemed to make it worse it seemed to bring out my inner rebel it seemed to (laughs) I seemed to have a real problem with that and I got to the point where I was just traumatized by this, by this pattern that had been going on for so many years and to find that I couldn't get out of it. I cried. I just lost it. I just thought I have to try something different. You know, quite often it's not about trying harder. It's about trying something different. And I'd never tried a long period of sobriety. And so I thought, okay, what if I just say to myself, I'll give myself a hundred day challenge and see what happens because I don't know what sobriety will be like yeah 100 days why that 
I saw it on a blog. <laughs> I saw it on a blog and I thought to myself, forever seems ridiculous. It seems so outrageously monumental and mammoth that it's that so there's no final. way. And, and it brings exactly. out that rebel, I reckon. Yes, and it's terrifying. Even to think of 100 days, I was terrified and I cried about being terrified. And it, that sort of period, though, that three-month period, it seemed like, okay, it would be achievable. And, of course, I broke it down. So at first I just focused on the first month and thought, okay, then we'll go from there. But the three months, it felt like it could be achievable, but – um, it would also give me that really good space to, to think about what was going on here, to examine what was going on. Yeah, and in that 100 days, I'm pretty sure you'd be thrust into just about every social situation possible oh, yeah. that would challenge you. <laughs> yes, I had like three weddings. I had two oh. work functions. I had my 39th birthday. I had a family holiday, a hen's party. It was, yeah, it was insane. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that would do it. That's hard. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. How, did you, how did you manage to cope with all of that? Like what did you say to people? Like how do you go from being the party girl that everyone just, you know, pours you a glass of wine and hands it to you when you arrive because they just know you and mm-hmm. and they you know they're excited to be drinking with you how do you go from being that girl to rocking up at a party and saying no oh it was so challenging and what i didn't realize as well as all those years of using alcohol as dutch courage i thought i was such an extrovert i thought i was the life of the party and when i took the alcohol away and i showed up to these events i found that no i'm actually quite introverted and when i thought back to before i used to drink you know when i was a child when i was a teenager i was introverted and so to go to these events i suddenly felt so awkward people would say what? You're not drinking? Like, this is how they knew me. I just barely had a photo on Facebook where I didn't hold a drink. <laughs> so they were like, what have you done with Bex? What is going on? So I'd be blushing. I would be so awkward. Oh. I didn't know what to say. It was so tough. And also the reaction as well. Like I would say to them, I'm doing a three-month health challenge and so I'm not drinking for three months. And people's reaction was like, what? I'd rather go without food than alcohol for three months. You've got to be kidding me. And come on, just have one. For God's sake, one won't hurt you. Like it was really challenging to hold my ground. Obviously at home was challenging enough to not have it at home, but to go out as well, really tough. (laughs) (laughs) I know that, um, you know, given – Given your age when you, uh, when you gave up, I know that a lot of women around that age when they go to social situations and they turn down the wine, people stare at your belly and they're mm. like, is there something you want to tell me? <laughs> yes. It's like, what? <laughs> so awkward and I don't have children and so of course that was you know a thing as well and so I'd be brushing blushing bright red from that as well because it's like oh god so many things to deal with they'd be like I'm not pregnant give me a glass just give me a drink so that I can prove to you that I'm not pregnant and stop staring at my belly exactly when people pat your belly it's like what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh dear. Oh boy. <laughs> oh. So you already had Vegan Sparkles as one of your websites at that point. Mm-hmm. And then after giving up the booze, you went and started Sexy Sobriety, which is the mm-hmm. best name ever. <laughs> 
thank you. You've got such a way with names. I love it. I love it. Tell me all about it. Tell me all about this sexy sobriety because it's quite a unique little website and course and group, isn't it? It sure is. And this was obviously born from everything I learned in that 100 days, in that first three months, how to handle events, how to uh, handle not drinking at home, how to get more in touch with your emotions, how to deal with stress and celebration, all those things. And the idea came around because when I, you know, after my first three months, I started to feel like, oh, wow, I've learned so much about sobriety that I posted on my Vegan Sparkles blog sharing the story, which was terrifying as well to come out of the closet and to say this is an issue that I have struggled with and I'm still in the process of overcoming. I was terrified that I would have no more health coaching clients, that no one would want to work with me, and then I would have to go back to the corporate world but no one would hire me because they would say, wow, she's you know addicted to alcohol. She could fly off the handle at any minute. There was all these fears about the stigma and I somehow found the courage to share it on my blog because I knew that reading blogs, reading sober blogs had helped me so much. Most of those sober blogs were anonymous and I really craved you know, knowing women out there who were overcoming this challenge themselves. So that was what motivated me to share it on the Vegan Sparkles blog. And I just received an outpouring, like to my surprise, an outpouring of love and support and a ton of emails from other women who said, oh my God, that was like reading, it was like you were reading my diary. I related to every single word. I've never told anyone this before, but blah, blah, blah. And you know, really confided their stories. And I started to think, okay, I really have learned so much in this process and through my studies to be a health and life coach that I could share with these women in a program, in an online course and program and online community. And so that was what inspired the idea for Sexy Sobriety, to create the the, the course, the program that I would have loved when I was going through those hardest days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's how so many amazing programs get created, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. the thing I wish I had back when I was doing the thing. Definitely, exactly. Yeah. So, and I love how in that course and in that group, uh, you reframe sobriety. Like you, you get your clients excited about other things. Like you, you mm-hmm. show them really amazing alternatives like these beautiful elixirs and the desserts and it's very similar actually to how I work getting people off things like gluten and dairy because I just go stop focusing on the thing that you can't have and then I distract them with these really amazing alternatives and these amazing options that don't have that thing in it that they're avoiding and so I love that that's what you do as well you distract them with like a better option so what are some of your go-to drinks that that you recommend for people when they're getting off the alcohol? Yeah, so really yummy things. I mean, when I go to events, I love green juice because <laughs> it gives you a high. Like it sounds strange, but it gives you really an energy boost that can help you to have more fun at events. And so I make just a simple one with spinach and cucumber and ginger and lemon. I also love kombucha. You know, you can get that everywhere now. I love that so much. 
and sparkling mineral waters and having fun with playing with different recipes because, like you say, it's not about deprivation or punishment when you're giving giving up a vice or something that doesn't agree with you. It's about shifting your focus to what you are getting instead and that's why I love inspiring them to have fun with new drinks and new experiences and new ways to, to see the world and to uh, deal with their emotions in the world. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And you, you get pretty um, into the raw desserts and things as well, don't you? So it's like having a treat to look forward to. Exactly, because it's very easy to fall on sugar. You know, sugar releases the same uh, dopamine hit in the well. You know all about sugar, dopamine oh, yeah. <laughs> hits <laughs> that alcohol gives you. So when you stop drinking, it's very easy to fall onto sugar because you get that same hit, that same high. Obviously, a little bit different, but the same sort of uh, chemical reaction starts to happen in the body. And so to then replace that with healthy desserts, where you are, yes, they're a little bit sweet than obviously you know your dinner <laughs> but you're getting a ton of vitamins and minerals as well and not that sugar crash that can just make your emotions worse can just scramble your emotions and so yeah we have fun with wholesome treats and taking care of yourself in that way yeah yep and I think that dessert always turns up at a point in the evening uh, where people are just starting to kind of kick back with their third or fourth drink and so it's right at that point where you know if you'd given up the alcohol you'd be like oh and then the dessert comes Mm -hmm. out so it's like it's it's an it's a lovely point in the evening and a lovely distraction Mm -hmm. definitely a treat (laughs) absolutely so you've just released your first book Yes. (laughs) And speaking of names that I love, it's called A Happier Hour. Um, Congratulations, mate. It's just, it's so exciting to see this this come to life. And obviously, it's all about your struggle with alcohol and and how you got through all of that. How did it feel going back through that emotional roller coaster and writing the book? Intense, really intense. It's a memoir, and so I've written it in um, narrative form as well, like you know, telling the actual story sort of in real time, (laughs) as in back then. And it was really challenging, especially the part. I mean, the first part of the book is while I was still drinking and what was going on and how that was like, and and to write that, it was very emotional. I mean, there's there's one part of the book. There's one one part of writing a book where you're sitting alone in a room devoting hours and hours and hours to writing a book. But when you're writing a memoir about painful memories, you're also facing yourself. You're facing your your old self, your previous self, and all the idiotic things I did and all the, the silly decisions I made and all the trauma that I went through. And so that was really, really challenging. And then the second and third parts of the book were a lot easier because that was when I was starting to get a hold on things and really became inspired to tell this story because so many of our Sexy Sobriety members, they're constantly asking me, what did you do? How did you feel on day five? How did you feel on day 20? What did you do to help you through it each day? And so I thought, well, you know, if I tell the actual story rather than a regular nonfiction book, you know, rather than sort of a guide, instead it's here's 
my experience, it was, it's confronting obviously to lay it out there because it's like sharing your diary with the world. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly vulnerable. But as Brene Brown would say, like that's where the power lies. Exactly, exactly. And being able to see uh, see yourself in another's story, in another's journey, I think is one of the most powerful things. And one of the biggest gifts that we can give back to humanity, to the world, is to share our experiences, especially when they're messy and they're upsetting and they're, uh, you know, chaotic this is the sort of stuff, I mean, especially in this world where you see very polished things on social media, to tell the behind the scenes, to show the struggles and to show how you overcome them is such a, a gift to give back. So that was what really inspired me to to write it, although it has been challenging. It's also been an incredible experience. Yeah. You're right about that whole social media thing. It's there's so much, especially on things like Instagram where you open it up and it's like, oh, my God, look at my green smoothie, look at this, look at look at my amazing day. And you do not know what's going on behind the scenes. You do not know what's really going through that person's head, do you? Exactly. It's the highlight reel. It really is. And even when I had stopped drinking, I would see on Facebook all these pictures of people out and having drinks and I would feel really triggered. And it was only the next day, you know, my sister would call or my friend would call and say, well, this this couple got into an argument later at the night. You you see the picture at 8 p.m. You don't see what happens at 11 p.m. or at 3 a.m. or at, you know, 10 a.m. the next day when everyone's hungover. It's the same sort of thing. You're seeing a very polished image and not all of the the other 50 million <laughs> points in the day where things were not perfect <laughs> exactly exactly Bex some of the people listening to this show might be nodding their heads as you're talking throughout probably the last half hour <laughs> and thinking <laughs> that they might need to cut down on their drinking but it's such a daunting thing to do when you first set out Our culture, like we said earlier, is so immersed in the stuff. What advice do you have for someone just starting out? Yeah, and I'm a huge believer in taking a break. So whether you want to say one month, because I know that that was scary enough to me at first, or you want to say three months and just say, I'm committing to this no matter what, you know, no matter what events are coming up, no matter what, I'm just committing to this just to see what happens because something so magical happens in that period of long-term sobriety, like in that period of just having a month off it, just to see, to be more aware of how you're dealing with things, of how you're feeling about things. Just give your intuition and your body a chance to connect with you, to, to send you messages, to to feel what's going on. And you know, to do that, obviously find support as well. There's so many tools and things out there that you can use um, at your disposable and obviously sexy sobriety is a a big one, but there's also a a ton of other things out there like podcasts and forums and books and find things that work for you to help you just have that period of reconnecting with yourself. View it as a, a period of finding out what you love. And what I mean by that is when I was drinking, I believed the only way I could have fun or relax or celebrate and all of these things was to have alcohol. And so to take that away, I was really challenged to see 
what else is there? You know, what else really brings me joy? What else, what other ways could I relax? Maybe a bubble bath, maybe a meditation, maybe a listening to soft music, maybe making myself a lovely meal. It's focusing on that, like an experiment, an adventure into finding out what lights you up. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I love everything you've said today. It's just, (laughs) yeah, it's perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Now, how can people find you, hon? They can find me at bexweller.com. I also have vegansparkles.com and sexysobriety.com, but Bexweller has links to all of my programs, courses and books and so on. So I'd love to um, hear from you guys as well. And, yeah, come find me, beautiful. Come say hi. Yeah, and definitely check out the book, A Happier Hour. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you so much for putting it out there into the world and for being so vulnerable. Thank you so much, Jules. Thank you for having me. This has been fabulous. Yay. (laughs) Thank you, beautiful. Talk again soon. I hope you've come away feeling all inspired after that chat with Bex. She really is an exceptional human and I love the work she's doing in the world. And that's what I love about this podcast. It brings together people from all parts of the health and well-being world. Now, if you like this interview, hit subscribe and stick around because there are more amazing interviews coming your way soon. In the meantime, if you'd like a free whole food recipe mini ebook, head to julesgalloway.com and just look on the right hand side there for where it says get your free ebook. Have a beautiful week out there. Stay shiny and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.